life does not work like TV sitcoms where a problem is introduced and resolved in half an hour, right? Including 10 minutes of commercials. Our desire for instant gratification that our capitalistic system has sold to us doesn't serve us well existentially in times like these. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for faith and spirituality outside the fences and walls of institutional Christianity. I've got a little something different for this episode than you might be used to if you're a regular listener, but before I get to that, I'd like to just quickly remind you that you can find all of the content that our team is creating for our community on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. Go there to find every episode of the podcast, as well as blog entries on a wide variety of topics related to religious deconstruction, social justice, and liberation theology. And if you're inspired by our work and would like to support the work that we do, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes to learn how you can partner with us in creating and curating content that's helping people navigate the difficulties of spiritual trauma, deconstruction, and trying to build a more just, more inclusive world. Accidental Tomatoes is the official content site for New Wineskins, a fully inclusive, non-traditional online faith community rooted in deep, authentic conversation. New Wineskins is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and is open to anyone seeking to explore faith and spirituality on a deeper level than many can experience in the institutional church. If you're looking for a community where you can express your deepest doubts, ask your hardest questions, and be welcomed unconditionally, feel free to visit one of our weekly Zoom gatherings. Learn more by visiting newwineskinsnetwork.org. So as I said, this episode is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to go against my, I guess, deconstructionist instincts and focus for just a little bit on a particular line of scripture that's honestly been taking up space in my head for almost 10 years now, since I first noticed it kind of hiding in the midst of a very popular, and in my opinion, very widely misused passage from the Bible. I'm going to try really hard not to turn this into a sermon. I'm not sure how successful I'll be at that, but but I do think that this this little hidden line, uh, it's actually just one phrase in one sentence in one verse, uh, but how this little line might hold a nugget of wisdom with really, really broad implications. So here we go. The passage that I'm talking about comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah in the Hebrew Bible, or what Christians know as the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to dive into the problematic semantics baked into all of that right now, but I do want to acknowledge that calling the Hebrew Scriptures the Old Testament in itself can be a kind of a colonizing and anti-Semitic sentiment that Christians might do well to denounce. But but I, I'm digressing. Be prepared, by the way, because that's probably going to happen a lot in this episode. Now, before we get too deep into this particular passage that I want to unpack, let me offer just a little bit of background. Let me kind of set the, the context here. When we refer to Jeremiah as a prophet, uh, or if we talk about any of the, the prophets in the Bible, Isaiah, Hezekiah, Malachi, any of those, when we talk about a prophet, that's a word that has particular meaning that is often misunderstood in modern English. 
the prophets of Israel that are found in the Hebrew scriptures, especially those who come about during uh, what we would call the exilic period, which I'm going to talk about here more in just a minute, um, are not in any way attempting to predict the future. That's not the job of the prophets to foretell the future. Again, that's kind of a colonizing layer of Christian hegemony that we often impose by reading backwards through the lens of New Testament writings about Jesus, especially, at least in my opinion, the way we read the Gospel of Matthew in particular, which contains many, many, many allusions to older Jewish prophecy in order to convince the writer's audience of Jesus's messiahship. Now, what those prophetic writings were concerned with was an honest, a brutally honest critique of the cultural and social and political and economic conditions of their times. And those things were always sort of all wrapped up and intertwined with each other. The prophets were the ones who were attempting to speak truth to power, attempting to unmask the injustices inherent in their systems and structures. And in some instances, they were attempting to convince the the people, the everyday folks, that they were being misled by their leaders, both their, their formal and informal leaders. Now, what inevitably happens when we critique those systems and structures, uh, especially power systems and structures, is that we will naturally be drawn to their inescapable conclusions. It's, it's kind of like saying to a child, you know, if you stick a fork in an electrical outlet, you'll get shocked. It's not about divining an unpredictable future. It's about simply acknowledging that actions have predictable outcomes. Now, an analogy that I found to be helpful, at least for old farts like me, is uh, to look at the work of Bob Dylan and, and other folks like that who were writing songs in you know, the 1960s, especially like during the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War. Bob Dylan and his contemporaries didn't really have any interest in trying to like prognosticate the specific details of the decades to come. They were simply pointing out what would happen to us if we continued to support racial discrimination and an unjust war, among other things. And by the way, it turns out that they were really right about a lot of that. So that's sort of the that's sort of the water that we're swimming in, I guess, if we want to talk about um, prophecy, right, and the prophets of uh, the Hebrew Scriptures. It's also probably germane at this point to note that Jeremiah is often referred to as uh, the reluctant prophet. It's really clear through reading the story of Jeremiah that he really has no interest in fulfilling that role of a prophet. And yet he feels somehow compelled that that he must do that. And I, and I point that out really just to show that, that power and influence were never part of Jeremiah's agenda. Most likely, he would have just as soon done something else with his life. And I think that that's an important context to remember as we start to dig into this story. So bear with me. We're getting close here. Back to my main point. So chapter 29 of the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, begins with this letter that Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem, most likely, to the people of Judah, which is, at the time, this was the southern kingdom of Israel. Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, north and south. The northern kingdom, which was called Israel, had long ago been um, conquered by Assyria. 
and the southern kingdom of Judah had just very recently been conquered by the Babylonians. And so Jeremiah is writing this letter to the people in exile in Babylon who, who have been conquered and removed from their own land into what would now be present-day Iraq. Now, not all of the people from Judah were exiled into Babylon, and that's, if you read the book of Jeremiah, that context is kind of important. But this is a particular letter to these people who have been, um, who have been exiled. Uh, and so in the previous chapter, what we're going to talk about happens in chapter 29, but what happens before that in chapter 28, again, to set kind of an important context, is that Jeremiah has been warning the people about false prophets, and in particular, about this one guy named Hananiah. Hananiah was claiming to be a prophet, and what Hananiah was doing was, was trying to tell the folks that, you know, Babylon was going to be conquered any day now, and that the people would be returned home to Jerusalem. In fact, Hananiah said, two years, right? You're going to be here two years tops. So that's sort of the, the context, and, and Jeremiah is trying to convince the people through this letter that he's writing that Hananiah is not, to use the language of the time, a prophet of God, right? Basically, Jeremiah is saying that Hananiah is just another huckster, right? Jeremiah is reading, interpreting the situation in which he and, and these people are finding themselves. And Jeremiah is convinced that, yes, the exile will end eventually, but it's going to take more than just a couple of years. In fact, and again, I know we're getting close again. I promise we're getting close. But give me just um, a, a little bit of a rabbit trail to make a point. Because this is uh, where one of, I think, the most misinterpreted and misapplied passages of the whole Bible uh, comes in. It comes from Jeremiah 29, 11. It's that verse that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Right now, this particular verse, I think, again, in my opinion, maybe more than anything else is responsible for the spread of, you know, what we call the prosperity gospel and a really hyper-individualistic view of Scripture because people take that verse and think that it's God talking to them, right? But, but that that sentence, right, is not any way meant to speak to individual human beings about their individual relationship with the divine or whatever plans God, whoever or whatever God is, may or may not have for anyone's individual life. That, that line, that sentence, is part of a much larger narrative where the prophet Jeremiah is attempting to inject some hope into what is otherwise a hopeless situation for a people who find themselves forcibly removed from their homeland and placed under the rule of a kingdom with wildly different values than their own. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that towards the end of this episode. So Jeremiah is trying to reassure the people that their present circumstances are not permanent, but he also wants them to know that their relief may not be imminent. So, all right, here we go. Now we're getting to the to the meat of the, the topic here. So backing up to the beginning of chapter 29, again, Jeremiah is telling the people, this is a long game. This is a long game that you're in. Yes, you will return to your homeland eventually, but it is going to be a while. In fact, 
right before that verse that I was just talking about that gets so misinterpreted, you know, about a prosperous hope, Jeremiah says it's going to be 70 years, right? Which you may or may not need to take that number literally. There's a lot of meaning packed into it, but essentially he's saying three generations, right? Three generations before you can expect to be returned to your homeland, which in essence, if you think about it, what that means is that most of the individual people who would have heard, you know, this letter read wouldn't live to see the return, right? He's, Jeremiah is talking about circumstances that are generational in nature. And it's right in the middle of that of this whole diatribe in verses 8 and 9 of Jeremiah 29 that Jeremiah says this, and this is the nugget that I've been building up to here. And this, this is according to the, the New International Version, but it's, it's a pretty close translation in most of the various um, interpretations of, of the book of Jeremiah. So this is, this is what it says in Jeremiah 28, uh, verses 8 and 9. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, on the surface, this is a pretty clear rebuke of Hananiah and his ilk of these false prophets that Jeremiah is talking about. But, but just take a closer look at what's hiding right there in the middle of that passage. It's, it's almost just kind of winking at us, almost daring us to notice it. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Did you catch that? Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. That's, that is, I think, the golden nugget of this whole passage. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. What I think Jeremiah is saying is that the source of power for people like Hananiah, for these so-called false prophets, is not so much about, you know, their status or, or, or even their egos. It's the power of tapping in to the collective anxiety of the people. I think the point that Jeremiah or whoever the writer of Jeremiah is trying to make in that one very subtle little clause, you know, this little phrase in the middle of a sentence I think, I think the point is massive, and I think it goes beyond the context of Israel's exile, although it certainly is that, and not less than that. I think it speaks to something that's deeply embedded in human nature. We only hear what we want to hear. Our tendency, especially in times of, um, of stress and anxiety is is to seek out voices that offer the solution that seems the quickest and the easiest, the path of least resistance. And so what do prophets like Hananiah do? They prey on the fears of the people. They stoke up the outrage machine, and then they tell the people what they want to hear. This will be all over soon. Your suffering is not God's will. Just follow me and everything will be okay. Does that sound familiar? Now, 
it should be noted that this particular phrase again comes right in the middle of of this broader um, narrative that Jeremiah is telling the people that they need to settle in for the long haul. And he says, you know, build houses, plant gardens, get married, start families. And then right before this, you know, this little comment about the false prophets, Jeremiah says something I think is really remarkable. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Could there be a more counterintuitive response to exile, to hardship, to the disruption of everything you've ever known? You know, I mentioned back at the very beginning of this episode that this particular little line about not allowing the dreams, you know, the people encourage the false prophets to have has been banging around in my head for, like I said, about a decade now. I first came across it. I was doing a series of pieces on social justice for one of the earlier incarnations of my public theological work. And at the time, I was thinking a lot about how media outlets in general, regardless of how you might perceive their political leanings, but media outlets in general have have sold out uh, the pursuit of truth to the lures of capitalism and profit. And that's no surprise to any of us. Um, One of my favorite expressions of that is uh, a song by the band Switchfoot uh, that's called Selling the News. If you've never heard it, um, I I highly recommend after you listen to this podcast, look up Selling the News by Switchfoot and and get some context from that. But the point, uh, or the point then, you know, 10 years ago, which has only really become exacerbated um, over the last 10 years, is that corporate media has very clearly learned that the path to higher profits is to inflame the fears of its audiences. And it's no overstatement. And, you know, forgive me for getting a little political here, but I'm just kind of trying to call it the way I see it. It's no overstatement to say that the modern Republican Party in America, fueled by Fox News and other right-wing outlets, have perfected that formula. The lesson from Hananiah is clear. Stoke up the anxieties and then offer solutions that lead to more wealth and influence for the messenger, regardless of what it does for the people. You know, recently, I think that's all started to take on added significance in in the wake of the growing divisiveness that we're observing in American civil and religious discourse, especially in the growing assertion of white Christian nationalism and um, and the movement of white evangelicals toward right-wing extremism. it's It's been through, I think it's been through processing a lot of my own anxiety over our current state of affairs um, that this little hidden phrase has sort of popped up again. Uh, you know, I've spent Honestly, I've spent countless hours in meditation and contemplation and in conversations with friends and colleagues and trying to imagine, you know, what could possibly pull us out of this sort of collective malaise that we're all experiencing. And and it's, you know, during even during all of that, I think Jeremiah's words have begun to echo even louder in, in my mind. And and I'm beginning to come to a couple of conclusions about all of this. Um, again, just because I've really been thinking about this a lot, and that's kind of why I wanted to to share it here in this episode. The first conclusion that I've kind of come around to is we've got to figure out a way 
to stop the cycle of, you know, I guess what we might call the self-fulfilling prophecy of encouraging the Hananiahs of our day to prey on our fears and give us oversimplistic and false solutions to the the very nuanced and complex issues and circumstances of our times. We've got to quit feeding the beast, right? We've got to think critically. We've got to think realistically. And, and dare I say, we've got to think prophetically about the state of our nation and our world. And secondly, and, and honestly, this is really the hard part. We may have to accept that we are, historically speaking, in the very early stages of what could be kind of a, a long and protracted exile of our own. You know, that's hard for us to hear, you know, despite our cultural conditioning, right? Life does not work like TV sitcoms where a problem is introduced and resolved in half an hour, right? Including 10 minutes of commercials. Our desire for instant gratification that our capitalistic system has sold to us doesn't serve us well existentially in times like these. Now, I, I totally get that what I just said can sound a bit hopeless maybe at best and, and, and maybe even a little bit nihilistic at worst. And, and the last thing that I want to put forward here is that all any of us can do is, is simply just bide our time until things straighten themselves out. Like That's not what I'm trying to say. I do believe that the pursuit of justice is a long game, right? And I think it's one that advances with both victories and setbacks, and it's one that never promises instant gratification. And I believe all of that's true. But I also believe that justice never comes about at all without people who are willing to actively pursue it, right? The phrase, justice delayed is justice denied, is a true statement. So here's the thing. And I, and I, think, this is, um, I think this is where the relevance of this whole Jeremiah passage comes in. When Jeremiah is telling the exiles, you know, settle in, build homes, start families, plant gardens, you know, all of that, He's not talking about just passively waiting for some supernatural intervention. What Jeremiah is talking about is resistance, specifically peaceful, nonviolent resistance, a resistance that's based in assessing the reality of the situation, of refusing to cooperate with those who would profit from from the, you know the anxiety of the people of the time for our from our anxiety now and calmly going about the business of living fruitful productive lives that's resistance right that this reluctant prophet's letter to the exiles in in Babylon you know when when he kind of wraps it all up he does what the prophets always do he spells out the inevitable consequences for those people like Hananiah, like these false prophets, who would deceive the people for their own benefit. He graphically describes, for example, how the corrupt king of Judah, who's still in place, um, but who is kind of sold out, you know, to the Babylonians, this guy Zedekiah, Jeremiah graphically describes how Zedekiah will die at the hands of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And I think maybe that's a helpful lesson for us to remember in 
times like these in which we find ourselves today, to realize that as badly as we want them, there are no quick fixes. And to find within us the courage and the perseverance to stand firm in our insistence that injustice and exploitation cannot go unchallenged and will not win the day. It's to live in the hope that love always wins, that liberation for all is at the heart of divine desire. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Break the cycle. Live. Love. Resist. So that's it. Uh, that's it for this episode. I, you know, I, I think, I'm not sure. I think I maybe um, didn't do so well at not turning it into a sermon, uh, but I hope that it's given you some hope or some inspiration in some form. Um, as always, if you have comments or feedback on, on this episode or suggestions or ideas for future episodes or guests, I would love for you to reach out to us. Uh, you can you can find us on our social media channels. Um, just do a search on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter for Accidental Tomatoes and drop us a note there. Or you can send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And so until next time, friends, keep on growing outside the fences and join us for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.